Welcome to the Employers Legal Lounge with your host, Michael Sullivan and Associates Managing Partner, Eric DeWong. Each month, we dive deep into a specific topic to provide you with valuable insights and guidance for navigating the complex world of California employment regulations. This podcast is provided for informational purposes and does not constitute legal advice. Only your attorney, with complete knowledge of the facts and circumstances of your situation, can determine how the relevant laws apply. Now, on to the episode. Welcome, everybody, to the very first podcast episode of Employers Legal Lounge, a space where employers, business owners, human resource professionals, risk managers, insurance brokers, insurance carriers, third-party administrators can all come to to get the recent updates in the employment laws, especially in California. My name is Eric DeWam, Managing Partner at Michael Sullivan & Associates Employment Law Department, and I will be your host. Uh, Before we get started, first thing is a thank you to all of you for joining us for our very first episode. I'm very excited about this. Our goal is that this is a resource for you to come to and get some updates and ideas and strategies about what is going on in the compliance world for employers, a very difficult place to navigate, especially in California. Now, I know there's a lot of people listening that already know me, um, either have heard me speak or clients, but for those who this is your first experience with me, let me tell you a little bit about myself and my firm. Like I said, I'm the managing partner of the employment law department. We are a defense firm, defense only, never confuse me with the plaintiff's attorney or we can't be friends. But other than that, uh, we do many more things other than just employment law. I stay away from that. I stay in my lane of employment law. We do workers comp and general civil. You may also know uh, our firm, Michael Sullivan Associates for writing the book on workers comp quite literally. uh, And it's also available on Sullivan on comp. Uh, It's the resource many of the workers' comp judges and attorneys use. Uh, Again, I stay out of that, but it's a resource we use quite often because there's so much overlap in employment laws and workers' comp, an issue we will tackle in episodes to come. So aside from being the managing partner, we all have many hats, as most of you do out there. Um, I am primarily a trial attorney. That is uh, my day job. That is what I truly enjoy doing. Um, And it is defense work. And when I say employment law, I mean the class actions you hear about, uh, the wage and hour, the PAGA, private attorney general acts, discrimination, harassment, sexual harassment, and otherwise, um, and the defense of those. That is what I do. But in addition to that, I do what we call advice and counsel for organizations. And what that is essentially is to provide a hotline for employers and human resource professionals to call in as things happen. Um, How do we accommodate this employee? Can we terminate this employee? Are our employee handbooks correct? What are the new laws? And they have a direct access to our attorneys in the employment law department to help navigate that on an ongoing basis. Now, outside of this, I also um, speak a lot at conferences. And one of the organizations I work most closely with is PIRA, the Professionals and Human Resources Association. Um, Most recently, I have been elected as the uh, college relations chair. And for that, I am working with uh, human resource students to get them to that next stage of their career where they have mentorship, 
where they have internships, they have um, people that they can look to to um, guide them in that next step. And I'm very um, proud and excited to work in that area to help those students get to be the next leaders in the HR profession. I also work with an organization called IEA, Insurance Education Association. Don't let the name fool you. It is primarily for the education of those who work in the workers' comp risk and HR world. Uh, there is a resource out there for my human resources professionals out there to get certifications in disability management. Now, I am a bit biased on that because I helped create the curriculum and I often guest lecture for IEA. But um, disability management, I find to be one of the most challenging areas that human resource professionals deal with on a daily basis. You can be a human resource professional for 35 years and still be struggling with it because there are so many gray areas in those laws. So if that's an area you really want to master, I highly encourage you to look at IEA and the CPDM courses that they offer to get those uh, higher level certifications. Outside the law, I also uh, volunteer as part of the Advisory Council for Children's Hospital Los Angeles. And uh, we will be doing an important annual fundraiser coming in November. If you're interested in any of these things I'm talking about, um, they will be available on my Instagram and on LinkedIn. Uh, there's all the resources and links there available to you. But enough about me. What I want to really talk about is this podcast and what we hope it will bring to you. So like I said, I do a lot of these presentations, um, especially around California. And I think uh, the feedback that I hear is that everybody's kind of tired of just seeing the regular Zoom uh, presentation, a PowerPoint's up, somebody's talking at you and telling you what the law is and what you should be doing, as opposed to a real world implementation of what these laws mean and how businesses, small and otherwise, can deal with them. So I wanted a more casual environment and that is why it's the legal lounge and I'm in my favorite corner of my house where I read and relax. I encourage those. Um, we'll often do these later in the day during cocktail hour. I encourage uh, you out there and uh, my guests to grab your favorite adult beverage or if you don't like adult beverages, your sparkling water and, uh, and sit with us and have uh, a sip. Some of you will be listening to this um, or watching it. Uh, again, this will be on many uh, different areas like Spotify and YouTube. You can either listen or watch. And if you're watching this in the morning, maybe, you know, you don't have the, the beverage. But if you do and you pour the champagne in the uh, coffee mug and pour a little orange juice and call it a mimosa, you will not have judgment from me. So uh, I, employment law is one of those things that will drive anybody to an adult beverage. So with that being said, uh, the format is generally going to be I will not be going through all of the uh, different organizations in the front end. This is just for our first podcast. Um, we will talk about uh, new laws in the last 30 days or more, depending on what's out there, some strategies, some tips. And I'll always have as a guest, a leader in the industry. I'm very excited about the one we have uh, today. Uh, at the end of watching or listening, there'll be an opportunity for you to do a Q&A. So put your questions in, your feedback. If you'd like to be a guest, please let us know. Uh, and if you do have questions, I will go through them and I will try to answer them at the beginning of the following podcast. All right, so without further ado, I am going to introduce our first industry leader and that is Tara Fournier, who is going to join us in just a moment. 
Tara Fournier is, um, hi, Tara. Tara Fournier, uh, we've worked with for uh, many years now, and uh, she is the Chief People Officer at Enthusiast Gaming. She is also our Pyra president. She um, is also on the executive board and will be starting for Cal Sherm in January. She has many hats, as I mentioned. So uh, please welcome what's most important, my co-pilot, Tara <laughs> Well, thanks, Eric, for having me. Um, you said I wear many hats. I know you are a Disney fan, so I brought my Disney hat for you. So for those of you that couldn't see, <laughs> I'm putting on my Club 33 Mickey Mouse ears. It, I know that it, that's something that Eric likes so much. Thank you, my friend. And I did and bring something to drink as well. To our first episode of Employers Legal Lounge and my first guest. I'm so glad you're with us. Cheers, my friend. Cheers, cheers. Our first sip. All right. Fantastic. Now I'm going to take the ears off and we're going to go right into business, I'm sure. I can't wait to hear what you have to say. Well, um, we have a lot to cover. And one of the first things that I wanted to at least start talking about is what we have coming up next week, you and I. As I mentioned before, Tara is my co-pilot. That comes from a series that she and I started in the pandemic um, to get the education out to the masses about the ever-changing laws that legislation and the governor threw at us to um, try and navigate. And Tara appropriately phrased it, um, building airplanes in flight. We are currently going to broadcast our 11th episode next week at Silu through Pirate. Um, and Tara, tell us about building airplanes in flight, What that, where that came from. So building airplanes in flight. Um, by the way, you said we're doing series number 11. It's actually flight 11. We're doing flights Thank here. You. I know. You're welcome. Uh, uh, yeah. So... <laughs> I always have thought that, you know, working as an HR professional, you come to work, you have a, a list of things you have to do in a day and things happen, right? Just like when you're on an airplane, the whole job of the flight attendant, the pilot, the crew is to keep the airplane flying and gain altitude and moving forward, no matter what the circumstance, right? There's turbulence, you navigate it. There's a lack of oxygen, the oxygen masks come down. And I feel in some ways, HR and business with our relationship with employment law is a little bit like that. So to me, when we went through the pandemic, it was one thing after the next, after the next, trying to figure out how to navigate through all the health and safety and OSHA rules and Cal OSHA rules. And so uh, speaking with you, Eric, I said, you know, this is like, you know, we're on an airplane here and then this airplane has to keep going. We cannot let this airplane land. And no that's landing. how I came up with airplane in flight. It's just because you, you, you know, as an HR professional, you've got to keep the ship moving. So that's what we're doing, no and, matter what. And that really resonated with the audience. Um, we had no anticipation or expectation that after our first episode, there would be a demand for it to continue. And um, and I think it's because, especially our HR professionals and businesses are always struggling with this, and they relate to this concept of, you know, when do we take a breath? How do we get this done? Our goal is to be compliant, but how do we do it? And we also do the work that our business does at the same time. Um, so people relate to that. So I am excited about next week, and we're doing it actually twice because CELU this year is in two different locations. Uh, and when I say CELU, it's the California Employment Law Update through Pyrite. Right. Um, and uh, 
this year it'll be in both Burbank and Anaheim. Burbank is on the 24th, right? Uh, there right. is still space available for the Burbank uh, live. There's also, um, uh, it's also available uh, virtually. And our presentation is going to be essentially on leaves of absence, return to work issues. Um, there's going to be a encore performance in Orange County at Anaheim, in Anaheim on the 26th that has sold out. Um, but uh, those of you who are uh, already uh, enrolled, please join us there. We'll, I'm also going to be hosting an after hours uh, cocktail and bowling event. So if you're interested in that, send us a message. We'd love to have you. Um, so on the theme of the return to work and leaves of absence issue, which is one of the the reason I work with IEA and doing the disability management is because it's the most difficult area to work with. And um, as kind of a teaser of one of the things we're going to talk about and the things that we have to navigate, there is one particular case that came out a couple of months ago that has really turned um, the definition of employer on its ear. And that what I mean by that is typically and historically, we have this um, law in California, the Fair Employment and Housing Act. And that is, um, people are familiar with uh, Title VII, the ADA, it's, it's the California component. And it covers all the wrongful termination and uh, discrimination, harassment, reasonable accommodations, et cetera. Employer has always been pretty simple, right? You have five or more empl employees, you're covered under FIHA, you are the employer, right, of your employees. And um, what came before this court um, this summer, which is Reigns versus HealthWorks, you've heard of HealthWorks, Concentra, right? Yep. So in the background, this is what happened. Um, HealthWorks was just doing a preliminary screening for a new employee for an organization. Um, and in that screening, they had a questionnaire. And the questionnaire, from what the uh, plaintiff said, went too far, asking about things of, you know, menstrual cycle and, you know, uh, you know other types of past disabilities and all this kinds of, uh, of things. And that was not prov provided by the employer, but by HealthWorks. So... The complaint happened and obviously the first you know pushback is um hey we're health works you know you can try to sue us but not under fee we're not your employer you know we don't employ you that was the one time you saw you you went off and you worked right so you can't sue us under this law this goes up to first the ninth circuit which is the federal circuit ninth circuit says hey we don't really know so california supreme court you tell us uh, if a third party who is not directly the employer can be sued as an employer. And let me just cut to the chase. The California Supreme Court is not your friend, small business or any business whatsoever. Um, and the California Supreme Court said, well, you know, if you're doing the kind of work that an employer might do, you know, screening or asking, you know, background questions or, um, you know, those types of things that an employer would normally do, you may be an employer, even though you've never paid the person, although you've never um, interviewed them or accepted them as your employee, you are now an employer under California. So what does that mean? It means, and they didn't limit it to people like Concentra or HealthWorks. It is any third party agency that does that work. First thing comes to mind, and I think a lot of people listening out there might fall in this class, are HR consultants. 
basically an outsourced HR. You don't have it at the business, but they give you the advice. What's that? Agencies, recruiting agencies too, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, Anybody doing this type of potential work or advising employers where they actually say, hey, yeah, it's okay to terminate them. Or yeah, you gave them enough leave. You know those. Now that third party can be sued. Does that um, include you as an as an attorney? So people have asked me that question. I think there's going to be a limit there because there's certain boundaries of attorney-client privilege and attorney um, advising that I don't think this law will quite reach. That's not to say that a plaintiff's attorney won't try to do it because there's a plaintiff's attorney under every rock in California to take any kind of case. So will they try? Yes. Do I think they're going to be successful on that? No. But how about insurance brokers, insurance carriers, um, you know, those people that are giving in any way, shape or form advice on clients on their matters? Um, I worry about that. And I do think and expect this is going to be a, a place of litigation in the coming years. So what do you do about that? Right. What, I mean, what do you do about that? It, and I and, and the answer, I think it depends on who I'm advising. So if I'm advising an employer, what I'm telling the employer is, um, well, you have these third party agencies you've always used. And if they mess it up, you could be on the hook as a joint employer with them. So maybe you need an indemnification, hold harmless, defend, indemnify part of the agreement. If I'm advising an HR consulting firm, I'm saying, hey, you might get hit with one of these um, simply by taking on a client who's not your employee. So you may want an indemnification, hold harmless, uh, defend agreement. So it's going to be a competition of who's in the best position to sign off on these agreements Um, because the employer is not going to want responsibility for that third party agency. Third-party agency is not going to want to all of a sudden have these employees that are not really their employees, but under California law, potentially now. Um, And on top of it, now do these third parties need EPLI insurance to cover these employees? And would it even cover? So this is, uh, well, this is just a a kind of a a tease of what we're going to talk about uh, next week. There's more on that, but it's one of the issues that I think uh, California businesses, employers, third party uh, uh, agencies and carriers are going to really have to deal with and grapple with because it's going to be cases of new impression. Right. Yeah, we're going to have to talk more about this for sure next week. And I think going into 2024, this this is I'm still digesting, Eric, a little bit about this. I mean, I've seen things and I saw this about the healthcare, you know, employment screenings, but to think that it extends to all of these different contracts makes me feel like, do I need to go renegotiate all my contracts? And if I'm an HR consultant, do I need to renegotiate all my contracts? And so I feel like there's going to be a lot of a lot of activity going on between consultings and their and their employers. And some may just decide they don't want to do it at all. Yeah, it may not be worth the cost of and the risk. And employers may just be in a position where we have to, you know, bring most a lot of this in-house. I don't know what the answer is. I think it's going to yeah. depend on where the litigation takes us and new laws um, mm-hmm. because it's going to be case of first impression. But um, I, I, I think sooner rather than later, if you're in that position, you have to think about what you just said, negotiating these contracts, mm-hmm. figuring out where your risk is because employers haven't thought about this kind of risk. Of their third, they're supposed to be taking care of this. This is yeah. not supposed to be my responsibility. 
Now, these employers, the, this law is not for the small employers, right? You have to have at least, what, five employees or more? Five? Yeah. You bring up a really good point. And um, so five employee, employees or more, it wasn't an issue, obviously, for HealthWorks because they had so many. And there is out there this question of when if it's this smaller third party that has two employees, right? Are they under FIHA? I think there's a really good argument they're not. Um, but don't hang your hat on that because remember where we are, right? So um, the court left that open. So really good, um, really good point. And that's going to be, I think, a, a, another area of litigation. So I was going to say, do you think this is going to be a to be continued or is this with prejudice? We're done and this is it. The fact that they're employers is done. The um, the fact of whether somebody who is, has under five employees is in a third party, that's not done. Um, so I think that's yet to be litigated. Got it. Good <laughs> question. So with that, um, that's just a teaser about uh, next week. And, uh, but we have some more to talk about, obviously. And for those who have been paying attention and every year around this time, we get the gift of new legislation signed in by our good governor. Now, um, I don't know how much of it you've seen. I'll, I'll start with an, uh, an up note that there was a lot of terrible laws on there that could have been signed in that were not. Um, I agree. I was surprised I, by some of the things that were vetoed, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, w which ones were, were you? Well, there about? was, well, there was one, it was about the expansion of the Cal Warren Act to go from 60 days advance notice to 75 day notice. Yep. I thought for sure we were heading down that track. And I was very surprised to see that the governor uh, vetoed that even after it got through all the legislature that that I thought we were in for for sure. You and me both. Um, so, so it's, it, sometimes it's like, oh, they're definitely going to do that. That one's an easy. And then when they don't do it, you're like, what was going behind the scenes that, got, that he didn't sign it. There's some negotiations. This is all lobbying. So, you know, that, that's how we get these laws. Well, what I read was that there were, it would impact small businesses so much, right? Because small businesses or small, you know, revenue level businesses, that extra 15 days that they'd have to carry, yep. you know, workers when they can't afford to have them anyways, because of the 60 day rule, like it was just too burdensome so that they didn't do it. So that's what I heard. So that was one. Yeah, there was another one I was surprised too. Which one? And that one was, it was SB 731. It was the return to work notice where there would be a mandatory 30 plus calendar days before remote employees would be um, asked to return to in-person work. I thought we were heading down that road too. I thought that was an easy yes. I thought what happened? Uh, you know, I, I don't know what happened or the whys, but given what we do get i i think everyone we didn't have to deal with the other one was the new class of protected class the the caste discrimination oh right? yeah so i thought that was that was almost certain i thought at another protected class in california um fortunately they said hey this is kind of pretty much covered under the other classes so we don't need to add it so it's not really new so that one didn't get passed either so the ones that did get passed and um, one of the ones that I think our um, employers really need to be aware of and is um, it, it is one of the big ones is the no compete agreement law. So right. aren't there two? There's two. There's two in tandem. Yes, there are. 
And let's see, look at their, what's their numbers again? Let's see, 699, SB 699 is the first one. Um, yep. and, and that is, that essentially brings home the fact in California that non-compete agreements are unlawful, right? They're, they're just patently, boop, they're gone. Now, there's been arguments about this, about how far it went and if there was exceptions to it. And there's a few very nominal exceptions to the non-competes that we're, we don't have to get into because they hardly apply to any business. Um, so with the non-competes, and that's what businesses want to do. Hey, you know, we invested in this person. We want to make sure they're not out there, you know, trying to compete against their our own interests, whether they're existing employee or a former employee, at least for a certain period of time. We cannot do that anymore. And before people would put that in saying, hey, you know, it may not be enforceable, but let's still put it in there to just, you know, to uh, just in case. But now we have with this new law, it's not just unenforceable, it is unlawful. So if you have a no compete agreement that is um, that is in there, that is a violation and not one of the exceptions it is now unlawful and an employee can sue you for it, get attorney's fees for it even if there's limited damages on it. Um, and this is going to be a big issue. I also see this as a big issue because it's going to be another that they're going to try and tether as part of PAGA actions, private attorney general. Oh actions. no. Yeah. So, um, and just as a background for those who don't know what PAGA is, it's basically class action light in California. You have a representative employee they sue you know, on behalf of other employees, the other employees they don't have to know about it. They don't have to be part of it. I'm drinking. Yep. They're just with it. I know that would make me drink too. Hold on a second. Hold on. Paga drink. Anytime <laughs> you say Paga out there in the podcast, I, have your drink, take a drink. Paga. Oof. There we go. <laughs> Sorry. So <Keep> going. <laughs> with Paga, it covers almost every labor code. And we litigate almost every year about how far that goes. It's pretty much everything under the sun. We've also learned it falls into, you know, if you don't do, provide the right sick days under um, healthy workplace laws, it uh, affects OSHA now. So OSHA violations can be brought under PAGA, which carry all sorts of penalties and attorney's fees. And I expect I this too. Well, oh, I did say that. That's right. Thanks. I love a drinking game on um, in, in the employer legal lounge. So we, I, I think we should make that a thing going forward. Um, so... I expect that's going to be on there as well. And uh, so be aware of it and then take a look at these agreements. Every time you send it out, it's going to be a problem now because AB 1076. 10 now the Valentine's Day special. It's a Valentine's <laughs> Yes. You know that, right? Do we know it, why it is? Because you have to do it by? February the 14th. February the 14th. And what do you have to do? Send love to all your current and former employees, <laughs> letting them know that the non-competes are no longer enforceable. You Isn't literally that... have to do this by law. Send in writing a notice to anybody in the planet that has been employed by you that has this on their list. Am I right? You're right. And isn't it wild? That is just, it, it is. Yeah. So, I, I mean, just don't know how far back do we have to go? So it goes back to January 22. So, so anyone that was currently employed now or has left from January 1, 2022, all the way till Valentine's Day special yep. 2024, we have to send something in writing. And, no, and going forward, you know, if you get one out again, then you still have to send out a notice. So everybody that signed one, you have so to say, we hey, by the way, forward. You, yeah. So if you make somebody sign it in March, 20, you know, 24, notice goes out. 
Um, so now we have to tell our employees, hey, we goofed, you know, that was unlawful. Uh, you know, we can't do non-compete agreements. So um, the big and point And this is for here, California specifically, right? Well, yes What and if no. somebody works in Wyoming? Great question. That's part of this law too. That's where a lot of the litigation happened was people would sign this in Wyoming, right? And, but they would actually come in at some point to work in California and employers would try and use this choice of law to get out of it. Now, it, once they come into California, that agreement is not only void, it is unlawful and you have an unlawful agreement. Wait, just to be clear. So if the, an employee is on a business trip and comes to California, or are you talking about an employee relocates to California? Relocates or does any work in or for the California part of that entity? Okay. And if it's a California company, but they have employees elsewhere, does it not, if the employee never, ever sets foot in California? Um, or is the best practice just an, to kill the whole thing? There's an argument there, but I wouldn't, I, I would kill the whole thing. And I mean, with em, employees of a California organization that are all remote outside of California, I'm not going to really want to non-compete anyway. So I, Honestly, if you have employees who might come back to, who work in, who work for anywhere in California, you have your legal team, um, your employment law specialist, and be careful, um, not all lawyers understand the employment law aspect, to revise, strike these things. Also, the non-solicitation agreements. Those um, we are fearing are tangentially affected. So if you have non-solicitation agreements saying, hey, you know, when you leave, you can never talk to our employees or try and bring them with you. Those might be affected too. I think that's litigation to come. So have your employment lawyers take a look at those and see how risky those are and if they're worthwhile having in in the first place. Makes sense. Now I've I've been seeing and and I'm asking you because you know you're the employment law expert. I'm just the HR professional here. Yes. But aren't they looking uh, somewhere in, in Washington and federally getting rid of non-solicitation or not non-solicitation, non-competes? Isn't that something that's that's being considered right now? First, to your point, um, I find the HR specialists know more than the uh, attorneys most of the time. So not just the, so usually you guys have it before we do. But to your point, yes, New York just did the non-compete ban. Um, other states have been doing this. Michigan's done this. Um, many states have done this already. I had just mentioned and I probably shouldn't have mentioned it because I jinxed it maybe a few months ago going, God, I'm surprised that California. I mean, all these other states have done it. I'm surprised California because we always do that stuff first. And there it is. So um, sorry about that, everybody. Wow. Yep. So we were not competitive in our non-compete race. I, I know we were not not the first to make something a violation for employers. Uh, that okay. is a shot. Uh, so what else do we have? Um, and how are we on top? Oh, one of the things I didn't mention before is I want to try and keep this at about 45 minutes for everybody because I want to be respectful of everybody's time. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I don't want to make this a long process, but give you nuggets to work with and we can answer more in the following. So if we hit the 45 minute mark, I put a little alarm on, then we'll start closing up, uh, just to be respectful of your time. So, um, what else do we have? We have, uh, AB 1228. Oof. Bingo. Yep. Uh, right. <laughs> so a and, uh, it, it affects the fast food industry. And I know, Tara, you know this one. Um, I do. Why don't, why don't you let them know about 1228? So if you are like me with a young adult and a 
late teenage children that work in fast food places, your children may make more money than you very soon because the minimum wage for fast food workers is moving up to $20 an hour beginning April 1st of 2024. So um, I don't know exactly. And I want to ask you, Eric, about the definition of a fast food worker. And then for my friends that are HR for fast food organizations, I don't know what that means, but I've, I've seen and read a whole bunch of articles. So I'm, I'm very it's, curious to talk about this. It's one. broad reaching. So almost any restaurant fast food market in California is going to be under this. It's been, um, it, it's been a long war over these fast food committees that have been, you know, trying to be implemented. They've rolled back that a little bit. This was part of the negotiation to roll that back a little bit. Um, so the $20 was, you know, one of the concessions and, you know, one of the only choice good, of words. Yeah. Right. Concessions. Uh, one of the only good things about it is, you know, San Francisco is always chomping at the bit to up that minimum wage even more. They can't do that because it's, this is capped. So no local uh, government can go, oh, well, you're 20 now. So we're going to be 25. So that's the only, uh, they anticipated that, which most certainly would have happened in San Francisco, but they, um, they, they killed that idea. Um, let's see, what else do we have? Oh, SB 553, the Ooh. workplace violence training. Um, so now we are, as employers, are obligated to do workpla workplace violence training, have an actual written program, and that is to be rolled out. January 1st, um, in addition to everything else you have to do by January 1st. So um, some people might be thinking, gosh, you know, this is, you know, silly. And, you know, to some extent, part of it might be, but um, workplace violence does happen. And it's something that we hear about and worry about because we watch the news and something terrible always happens in schools and workplaces. Um, and I, uh, as I recall, even you, my friend, have had, uh, some experience with this where a program like this might be helpful. Um, wanna, wanna share the quick? Yes, grab a drink, grab a drink and sit down, I'm ready to yep. dish. I can't say <laughs> the name of the hard. company or the name of the employees that I worked for, but we'll say that um, it, was, it was probably 10 years ago-ish. And uh, I was working at this company and we had somebody that had gone through an accommodation didn't know you back then, Eric, but it really could have used you at that time. And uh, he, we did all the accommodations that he needed. And eventually he decided to resign. He leaves the company. Uh, a few weeks after that, my HR assistant, um, HR coordinator comes to me and says, Tara, you know what? Somebody just sent this in the mail. I think it's food. It smells a little rotten. What are we going to do? So I said, let's go. Let's, let's see. And uh, it certainly was something rotten. Uh, oh, it was yeah. something that some, yeah, somebody decided to send, you know, something that looks like a poop emoji to us. Uh, and with that white powder came out and this person was very angry. So it created a whole thing and to the point where I took photos. I don't know if y'all can see this in my thing, but this is a hazmat. hazmat. Uh, the hazmat team had to arrive. I had to evacuate the building very quickly for those that weren't exposed. And I had to stay quarantined for those that were, because of course, Eric, when something's smelly, everybody's like, well, that doesn't smell. What is that? So like five or six people wanted to see what it was. So all of us were the lucky quarantines. Uh, and we had to go through a whole protocol. Yep. We had to go through a whole protocol. The fire department came. The, the Department of Health came. It was sent through the mail. So the postmaster general was there. And so we had to, we didn't have a plan in place because 
who does that, right? Yeah. And you never think that's going to happen to you. But now it, with this law, at least, um, we'll have a plan that was considered workplace violence is actually considered an act of terror, um, believe it or not. So um, you can imagine how this ended. Uh, this person did not uh, did not walk away uh, <laughs> from that. So there was that. And, and also, um, you know, just another, that was like a kind of a fun story, but more of a dark story is one of my former employees actually was an active shooter, um, not at my office, but elsewhere. And so wow. um, that made me feel like, gosh, if this person could do that elsewhere, they could definitely do that here at the yeah. office. So um, this is something that's close to my heart. So I know it's a pain for all of my HR friends out there. I know this, this really stinks. It's like an extra thing to do, but yeah. it does happen. And it's so it having something to just go into your protocol is going to be so much better than trying to wing it. Cause I'll tell you that winging it is super stressful. <laughs> yeah. Cause you're already in the stress place and I see these with clients a lot. And sometimes they're, you know um, they think yeah. sometimes they think it's an emergency before it is, but sometimes it really is an emergency and letting the protocols actually do what they're supposed to do. Um, not only helps get to the right um, results, but also makes your employee, once you roll this out, it'll make your employees feel better because everybody is in a heightened place right now with, you know, what they see on the news and heightened. Oh yeah, of course. Issues. And I think it'll at least uh, make employees feel, hey, you really care about this and it'll make them feel more secure and hopefully you never have to use it, right? But um, as far as this being uh, followed, yes, you know, uh, organizations like DIR, et cetera, they do try and make sure that everybody is doing these programs. So make sure you do it, get with your legal counsel, have this as one of the things that you roll out at the beginning of the year in addition to your employee handbooks and all the new things that you have. Um, let's see. What is the other? Oh, um, quickly on 933, which just characterizes any claim of sexual assault um, or harassment. Now it's considered a protected complaint. Why that's important is um, there's often litigation of uh, encounter litigation of defamation and, you know, other issues that are brought up as a countersuit. This really stops that from ever happening. It prevents defamation suits. It prevents what we call anti-slap uh, motions or uh, allows for anti-slap motions. What that essentially means is if you're doing a counterclaim, very often the plaintiff's attorney is going to say, hey, the reason you're doing this claim is because we made this uh, or the, the employee made this complaint about sexual assault. And that's protected. And that's the foundation of why you did this lawsuit. So you can't do that. It's forbidden under the anti-slap statutes. This brings that home. So it's also an important law and part of your strategy if these ever come up. All right, what else do we have? Oh, this one's really important. SB 616. I was waiting for that. I wondered when you're gonna bring that one up. I am there, the sick days, the sick days. So everybody, I mean, I hope everybody, you know that we've had for, since 2015, this requirement of having at least three days of sick leave that can cover not just for the employee, but anybody in their family that they're caring for. Now, as of last year, the designated person, so they can designate their neighbor uh, now as having the as being the person they have to take care of for three days. Uh, I know ridiculous. In addition to that, now it's not three days. It's five days. So you must Ooh. now give five days. Um, make sure that your employee handbooks and all of um, the guidance you have on sick days and your wage statements are compliant with this. There are also some important nuances to this as if you're doing the accrued method, you have yep. to have a certain number of hours, 24 by the 120th day of employment accrued. 
So um, all of these things and bells and whistles need to be in there, especially if you don't outsource your wage statements and your payroll and you do it in-house, make sure your in-house understands these important laws. Um, all right, let's see. And that one, just so you guys know, I read the accrual threshold, 80 hours or 10 days have to be rolled over year over year. So I know I believe it was 40 last prior to that. So it's doubling on what they can hold in their bank. However, just to be clear, paid sick leave does not have to be paid out when people depart the company still, correct? There's no change on that, right? Thank you for bringing that up. People get that wrong all the time. Hallelujah. Yes, it is not vacation pay. It is uh, if it is just sick leave. Now, if you're one of those employers that combine PTO and you have a combined PTO program, um, then, <laughs> then you, then you have to pay it out. So, um, keep the, if they're separate and there's separate sick days, you do not at, upon termination. Absolutely true. Um, we have some new leaves available, uh, in addition, which is the reproductive loss leave that is five days. It covers any issues that go with reproductive loss, miscarriage, also a failed adoption qualifies. Um, as reproductive loss. So this is an extra five days of protected leave um, under 848. 848. Yep, 848. And SB 723. Uh, remember uh, back when, when we were laying people off because of COVID and that law came out that said, hey, they get the first dibs on bringing them back if you laid them off because of COVID. We still have to do that now until tw- the end of 2025. Um, so 2025. Wow. 2025. It was going to be 2024. They extended it to 2025. So if these people were not laid off, uh, terminated for cause, and it's going to be a presumption they were laid off because of the COVID pandemic, they need first dibs on these offers. Um, and the one I get questions about all the time, the weed law, AB 2188. Oh yes. I don't know. Can, Tell me more about this one. Can we fire somebody because they smoke weed? Um, well, yes if they're smoking weed on the job. Yes, that hasn't changed. People drink on the job, smoking weed on the job, those types of things. Um, yes, this is, doesn't cover that. It covers off work use. So if somebody is off work and uh, using medicinally or otherwise, we cannot discriminate against them so long as they are not under the influence while working. There are important exemptions to this which are in the construction industry for obvious reasons, the trucking industry for obvious reasons, and through some federal contracts for also obvious reasons. So um, it doesn't go to every industry, but many of them. So if you um, make sure, especially if you are testing people and you're basing a test on uh, a dismissal because there is a sign of cannabis, make sure it is active cannabis. THC that they are under the influence of while at work. If it is the non-active component, you cannot fire them for that. So um, it's really important, especially the types of tests that you do, they're becoming more sophisticated, especially now because of this law. So make sure you revise your programs and how you deal with these issues. And I just got the buzz that we are at the mark. Did I go through all the legislation? I think you did, but I just have to make a funny comment to kind of bring this full circle. And just the first thing that popped into my head, right? When you're talking through this and active THC and you've got to take them and get them tested, it goes right back to the employer as a contractor, as a health works, as reigns and all that comes right back around full circle again. So it just all connects. It's very interesting. Yes. That organization that actually tests them now could be our employer employer (laughs) under reigns. 
I, I know. I didn't even think about that. So 100%. it all connects back full circle, which and is to funny. And that, I you... say Paga. Ooh, Paga. Paga. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that means we're drinking it for those who are listening. Huh. A few closing notes um, real quick. Please do join us um, at Silu next week if you can and meet us in person. Um, there's going to be options for you to give comments and questions. I will try to answer those at the next podcast. And most important, um, thank you, Tara. I couldn't oh. think of a better first guest than my co-pilot. I'm so grateful to you. Thank you for all the knowledge, the fun, and the drinking game that you started. And I appreciate you. Yeah. I appreciate you. You are so knowledgeable and so much fun and just such a pleasure to to fly with. I wouldn't want any other co-pilot and, uh, you know, to many more travels around the world together. Co-pilots for life. Cheers, my co -pilots friend. Co-pilots for life. Cheers. <laughs> and cheers to all of you. We hope to um, have you the next podcast next month. Thanks for listening to the Employers Legal Lounge podcast presented by Michael Sullivan and Associates. Remember to subscribe on your favorite streaming platform so you never miss an episode. We release new content every month, ensuring you stay informed about the latest developments in California employment law. If you have any questions, topic suggestions, or would like to be a guest on our show, don't hesitate to reach out to us at msa.news forward slash podcast. We'll see you next month with another episode of Employer's Legal Lounge.